Welcome to the Uncensored Society Podcast, where guests share their insights, experiences, and tactics to help you accelerate your business. So building, scaling, and monetizing your business is made easier. And now, your host, Kay Suthar. Amazing guest for us today. And in fact, I was having a short conversation with him a couple of days ago. And with everything that he has achieved and the journey he's gone down, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to have him on our show. So today I have for you, his name is Doug. Now, Doug led three different entrepreneurial startups and a regional non-profit. With his wide range of practical experience, he can help you gain clarity with your own ideas to grow businesses and lead people. Please welcome to the stage, Doug Thorpe. Oh my goodness, Doug, I am so excited to have you here today. Well, thank you, Kay. It's a pleasure to be here as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. We had so much fun in the prep and the run-up for this. We did. We did, most definitely. And when guests come onto the show, I always love to ask them this question, right? And that is, you know, what were you doing before you started your business? Because as I was saying to you early, before we started recording behind the scenes, you know, we don't just wake up and voila, there's a business. It never happens that way. And if there's anyone out there that can tell me it happens that way, please contact me. I want to know how (laughs) that happened, right? But please tell me and all of our listeners, how did you get to this point? What was your journey like? Well, that's a great question. I'll try to keep it simple and, and, and direct. I'm, I will point to the fact that for me, it ultimately started in my young years when I was still in school. I, I was raised the only child of a hardworking single mom. My dad had passed away at, at, when I was very young and mom opted never to remarry and she just got busy and we started building our life together. But one thing she did, uh, even before I was out of high school, she quit her day job and started a business. And I watched her do that. And I didn't really, at the time, obviously, I wouldn't understand the significance of that. But as I got older and, and, and realized what it meant to be an entrepreneur, I realized what a huge risk she was taking. But what confidence and courage she had in herself and her idea to to go start this business. And it did, in fact, become a very good business. She was an interior designer. She kind of elevated from residential into commercial. She was doing large commercial projects in, in part of her portfolio. And as I got a little bit older, still in school, but I, I helped her. You know, I, that was my summer job was working for her doing things and uh, installing all the fun stuff that she had figured out she wanted to give her clients. But anyway, that kind of built a fire in me, and I didn't really know what it was, you know. I, but it was, it was an intrigue. It was a curiosity and, a, and really a passion. But fast forward, I go to college. Um, the other parallel of that story, I was growing up in San Antonio, Texas, and at the time we had five military bases in San Antonio. So everybody in the community was related to the military one way or another. That intrigued me. And with with mom's encouragement, I seriously thought about taking the military as a career. So I pursued 
scholarships, got an Army award to go to uh, college. So that put me in college ROTC. I was commissioned after I got out of school, went into service. But four years doing that, I decided I'm... I, I realized I had the same kind of creative juice as my mom did, and that didn't really necessarily fit real well in the military. <laughs> so I, I came out, but I went to work for a large regional bank, of all things. A college friend made a connection. I got a job at the bank, and that turned into a 20-year career. Um, but throughout it, I was involved in leadership. I, I was an operations manager and executive, and I you know came up the ranks and always leading large teams and building building businesses for the bank. I was offered an early retirement after those 20 years and decided to start a consulting business. So the entrepreneurial thing kind of kicked in just a little bit. And as many bankers do when they retire, they become consultants to their old bank customers. And I'm guilty as charged. That's exactly what I did. But it was a nice segue into establishing my business. And that was many, many years ago. But what I discovered as I was working with all these consulting customers, there was really a hunger. I would, I would get the nod, hey, come in my office. I got something I want to talk about. Shut the door, shut the door. And we would sit down, just have these chats. And I'm thinking, this is really coaching. This is not consulting. And I, after I got tired of traveling the globe as a consultant, I said to myself, I'm going to look at this coaching thing and see what can happen. Well, Again, in some parallel events in the U.S., we had, and I guess really across the globe, there was the big crash of 2008. And I had actually started a, one of my entrepreneurial businesses was in operation at the time of that crash. And my company happened to be related to the mortgage finance industry, and we were ground zero for the crash. So I had to close the business, let everybody go. And that's when I started the regional nonprofit. We were coaching job seekers, oh, wow. people that had lost their jobs like I had. So I was very empathetic to the, <laughs> to the, <laughs> the issue, but I took a hand at running a nonprofit and we built an organization that over about a four year period, we coached over 4,500 people through their career transitions. And that kind of really kindled my fire for the coaching part of things. So marry the entrepreneur with the uh, passion for coaching and helping people. Now that's, that's what I do to this day. So that was what, 14 years ago. Um, and I've pretty much been coaching ever since. Wow. That is amazing. So it has been a journey like it is for most of us. Right. And it's been experimental. It's been, okay, what is it that I really enjoy doing? And I guess it's going through those paces where you figure out, okay, this is the type of business I want to create, right? Because the idea doesn't just come to people just like that overnight. It is right. through experiences, right? So that is great to hear. So Doug, tell us a little bit about how you actually serve your clients now. Well, uh, great question. And as I indicated, my uh, what I would claim is my ultimate passion 
is I have been a lifelong student of leadership theory, leadership practice, leadership development, everything leadership. And I definitely know the connection between an entrepreneur business owner needing to invest time and energy in becoming a leader for their business. So my perfect uh, target, if you will, is that owner who is saying, you know, I'm my business is doing okay, but I know it could be better. I, I know it could hit a new level, and I just don't know how to get there. Well, inevitably, it's probably a matter of that owner not taking that leap and get out of being a founder, manager, and start learning how to be more of a leader for their business. Ah, okay. So just for our listeners here, I want you to explain to all of us what does a leader actually mean, right? Because I thought a manager, you know, um, a supervisor, they all lead teams, right? So well, what they do. What does it mean to you? Sim- there's a simple phrase I was taught a number of years ago. The difference between management and leadership is this. Management is about process. Leadership is about people. Ah. And to your point, if, someone is sitting as the owner, manager, senior manager, they think they're the CEO and president. Probably what they're really doing is managing the process of of doing the business, whatever it may be, whether they're producing a a specific good or, or delivering a service. Most likely they are focused on managing the process to get that out the door and get the money in the door. Right. So, yeah, they've hired people and they've given work assignments and they're sitting there going, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I need you to do this and go do this. But that is not in the simplest form. That's not leadership. And by the way, people make careers and they make whole lives out of being managers. So I'm not I'm not bashing managers. Don't don't hear me wrong on that. But what I'm saying is there is an upside that you're not even tapping into if you haven't started exploring some leadership principles to marry up to your management skill. Okay, now that that makes complete sense. But just to kind of get deeper into what leadership is, what kind of tasks should a leader be doing if it isn't? Um, managing a team. Well, that's, that's a great, <laughs> great thing. And, and it's, so I, I, I do for the sake of our discussion, I, I do want to kind of draw a line between that management and leadership idea. So the leadership is focused on the people you've got on your team. Yes. But the question is, are you getting the best out of your people? And here's, here's an example, or here's a way that I've uh, frequently talked about it. Every one of us, when we take a job and we show up for work, we have two gears that we can work in. We can show up and we can figure out what the boss is asking for, and we can agree to do the, I'll call it maximum amount required to keep your job, or maybe it's minimum amount required to keep your job. 
And that's kind of a hover level that, you know, happens. And sometimes that can be really good. You know, I mean, companies can be productive. They can be profitable. People are showing up. The work is getting done. But there's not a particular loyalty. There's not a particular uh, high morale or a high engagement or a high connection. But the work's getting done, so the boss seems happy. Well, there's a second gear, and this is where leadership can come in, and I call it the discretionary effort. Okay. It, it's when a person looks at the job and says, oh, I see an opportunity to do just a little more. I'm going to stay a half hour late. I'm going to go help somebody over next door. I, I'm going to do that little extra um, and <laughs> I'll give you a really mundane example of that. I, I have trained my kids. I've got five kids and they'll all tell you I've trained them. I don't care who you are or where you're working. If you walk up to a copier and there's no paper in it, put paper in the copier. <laughs> don't say it's somebody else's job. Don't go hunting for the secretary or the assistant or whoever might have been officially designated to support the copier, figure out how to put copier uh, paper in the copier. Just add that little, that's discretionary effort that just helps the whole environment work better. And I've had arguments with people, well, but that's not your job. That's inefficient and you're wasting time and all that. I'm going, no, how much time does it take you to walk down the hall and go find the person and then come back? You could have had it done by then. You know, so um, little things like that are elements of discretionary effort that can make the whole team work better. Okay. Now, that, that is really interesting to me, right? Because it's a small thing. It's a very small thing to do, but then you're going that extra mile. Right. And so... To me, I'm like, well, isn't that obvious? You, you, you should be doing that. You shouldn't be told to do this. And if anyone argues, oh, it's not my job, I mean, then as a leader, how do you then communicate with that team member to say, no, this is what we should all be doing? Well, <clears throat> this is where we get into a, a talk about the full spectrum of what a leader needs to be doing. And then let's stay focused on the, the small business owner. It absolutely starts with the owner creating a vision of what they want their company to be about. What kind of a culture do they want to build? What kind of uh, climate do they want their people to operate in? And then they have to put that into the hiring process, you have to screen, look, and select people that are going to fit that. Okay. And that's a huge challenge. And I know I'm well aware I spend most of my days talking to business leaders that are struggling with the employment situation in the world right now. The job market is on its head. There are there are way more openings than there are people willing to fill. And we could go on and on. That'd be a whole episode talking about that challenge. But the point I'm trying to make is it is up to the owner leader to have a vision for the team they want to build. 
And here's one thing I, I work with my clients on inevitably when I get called in and they describe this, my company's stuck and I don't know what to do. We do start with an assessment of the people, the, the team that has been built. But I challenge the owner to stand back and spend some time reconstructing the job descriptions or the roles that are in the company. And I encourage them to, you know, take a white sheet of paper, start drawing your boxes and say, what do I need in this box? What does this person need to be doing for the good of the company? Then you go start matching back and saying, well, now the people I've got, do they really fit this box properly? And we start doing some heavy work on, and it's tough, tough talks and tough decisions sometimes, because what do we see happening in small business? Owner goes out, maybe husband and wife, you know, maybe brother and cousin, you know, who know they start this business. And a lot of times they'll go hire other family or friends to join them. That's right. Because I can trust them. They might be cheap. They might be willing to work. Maybe they will talk about sweat equity and, you know, that'll be good and we'll get it going. But as the company really matures and the process starts really taking over what needs to be done, if you go back and start doing that assessment of every job slot in the team, who do I have sitting in that job? Usually what we find is we've kind of bolted on assignments or tasks. As the business has revealed a need to do something, we've kind of added that to Joe and added that to Sally. And, and we've got this patchwork quilt of job assignments. And that's in the long run, that's not effective. And you start creating mismatches maybe the person that had the right idea and had the right attitude was willing to give you that discretionary effort just can't fit the requirement anymore. So, you know what? I mean, what you just mentioned there, right? Regards to hiring people, hiring friends, family, cousins, whoever it is, right? That is interesting because I hear a lot of people doing that, right? Cause it's just easy. It's easy, they've known them for years, they've, you know, grown up with them. But then I have found, and I don't know if you found the same, right, that when you start hiring family, it gets messy. Yeah, it does. Okay. Well, the I'll, I'll say quickly, and again, the, the, the whole family idea is a family-run business is, a, is another whole episode to talk about, but... Um, <laughs> The big issue in family and the easiest way to kind of break it down and get the thinking squared up and moving in the right direction is that the problem with family is you've got, again, you've got some roles that need to be played. Are they an investor in the company? Are they truly intended to be a manager of the company? Are they just intended to be an employee of the company? And who is going to truly make all the executive decisions? And what ends up happening is those roles get, get blended together. 
and you're sitting at the family dinner table, maybe on Sunday night or on Thanksgiving or whenever the whole group gets together and you start talking about the business and it happens all the time. And there's a disagreement over who's got the power and the authority to, to really drive that decision that needs to get made. So that's usually where founder owners start to really run into trouble with family or, you know, close relations being in key roles because the real role has not been defined. It's like you're not, this sounds really minimalistic or something, but you're just an employee. You've agreed to work for me. You know, you don't get to vote. You don't get to weigh in on the decision. I'm going to ask you to do things and you're going to have to agree or not. Um, the mortgage related business I talked about, I had a need and I hired my youngest son to come to work for me. And, and by the way, just fully for the record, my wife and I created the company. So it was husband and wife running the company. And at one point we agreed to bring in our youngest son. And I set him down and I said, look, kid, (laughs) here's the deal. (laughs) I said, inside this building, I'm the boss. Um, you're not my son, you know, I love you, but you're not my son. You're an employee. And if you mess up, you don't get privileges. You're going to get treated like everybody else. Well, about six weeks into the job, he started showing up late and, and he had already moved out of the house. It wasn't like he was still living with us. He'd already, you know, he had his own place and everything. And so I called him in and I said, remember what I told you? I said, guess what? You're on probation. You got 30 days, no lates, or you're done. You're out. And how did he take that? He kind of, he kind of went, okay. (laughs) He walked out. (laughs) And I mean, he, um, he got with it. He was like, oh, so all the stuff you just said to me before I started, you were, you was actually serious. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he started, I mean, he started working like clockwork and he dug in and he really got into the business. And I'm very happy to say he took that launching pad because it was, like I said, it was mortgage related business. He's now vice president of mortgage operations at a regional bank in Dallas. Wow! (laughs) So he, he, he followed dad's business and he stayed in the industry and that was almost 20 years ago. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. So it just goes to show you need to be very clear as to what you need, right? What your business needs and make it clear to your employees, your team as to the expectations. Right. Right. And make sure you have agreements down in writing so everyone is in in agreement and understands where what's going on. Exactly. That's Right. right. And you have to enforce it. You you can't let your own emotion about, oh, but, you know, I've heard a lot. I've heard people, owners that have grown their companies, they're up into the, you know, multi-million dollar enterprise and they are feeling the need to take it to another level, but they've got this person sitting in one kind of really critical uh, position and they'll say, 
well, that person just can't do the new job and, but I can't let them go because they've been so loyal to me. They've helped me and they've, they've been with me the whole way. And I'll tell them, I'll tell the owner, I'll say, well, then you're going to have to define another job for that person. Mm -hmm. You can't keep them in the position they're in if you really want to grow this business oh that's interesting okay so you can actually swap people in and out of different roles if it's not well i'm saying the smart money does that Ah, okay you bite the bullet you have the very tough decision and i i know an owner um this was a couple years ago we were in a mastermind group and he was talking and he told the group he said I'm at a pivotal decision. I'm thinking about bringing, bringing my wife back into the business because kids are grown and empty nesters, all that, yada, yada, the wife's bored. And I said, that's a horrible reason to bring her back into the business. (laughs) I said, has she ever been in the business? Oh yeah. She was there before. How'd that go? He said, well, it was not good. We, you know, we had issues and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and you want to do that again? What do you think has changed? You're still the same two people, right? And he goes, yeah, now that you mentioned it, you're right. And so I said, I'm not telling you absolutely not. I said, but define a role. It needs to be very specific. Forget her personality and skill set. Think about what you need next in your business. And if she can't fit that role, then the answer is no, don't do it. Yeah. I got it. Wow. Okay, I see. So the thing is, in order to be clear as to what you want your employees to do and give them direction, right? Give them guidance. You need to be clear within yourself. Absolutely. That's right. Right. I love it. Love it. Doug, I know at this point, people are thinking, oh my goodness, how do I contact Doug? I need to speak to him about my business. So where can they go to connect with you? Real simple. My primary website is dougthorpe.com. That's T-H-O-R-P-E on the end, uh, dougthorpe.com. All right. Awesome, guys. Oh, my goodness. If you are needing help, some guidance, you need some coaching, I urge you to contact Doug ASAP, right? Get on a call with him. Have a conversation because you never know what you're going to be learning. Okay, Doug, thank you so much for coming on to the show. You have been amazing. And oh, my goodness, so many golden nuggets. Thank you so much. All right, Kay, it's been a pleasure. and, And thank you to everyone for listening in. Thanks for listening to the Uncensored Society podcast at www.uncensoredsocietypodcast.com. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get this and every other episode that's coming out. We have lots of great stuff coming, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss it. And thank you in advance for all the reviews and comments. I appreciate it so much and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode.